If you would, please take the Word of God and turn to the book of Jude this morning. The book of Jude. If you're willing and able, we'll stand for the reading of God's Word out of reverence for it. And the emphasis of the sermon this morning will be verses 20 and 21, but to gain a little context, I'm going to begin the reading in verse 16. You read these words, this is the word of God. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they have, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the, by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power and both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Um, Father, we love you. And we thank you once again for the privilege it is to gather together outside the world, Father, and to gather um, with this, this beautiful body of people that you've saved for yourself. A people who were not a people, um, who now are a people, are the people of God. Father, out of uh, every nation, tribe, and tongue, in some sense, but also made of a little community here in Kingsport and the surrounding area, Father. And how gracious you've been to take the gospel um, from a foreign land and to bring it, Father, into this one. How gracious ages ago you were um, to, to preserve it, Father, for us even now. Father, how gracious you were. Um, before time ever began, um, to plot such a plan um, to save sinners such as us. Father, we rest this morning in your grace and by grace alone. Father, we know that we're sinners. And we know that we're undeserving. We know that, Father, on our best and most holy of days, that our righteousness before you is as holy, our righteousness, Father, before you is as filthy rags. Um, but we don't glory in the filthy rags this morning or the sin, with the exception, Father, that um, it made us suitable to be saved. We don't glory, Father, in that, but we glory in the fact that you sent your own Son into the world and saved us, Father, on, on his behalf. We glory in the fact that we stand righteous before a holy God. And when wrath was our only due purchase, the wages of sin was death. The gift of God was eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we, Father, glory in you this morning and glory in your Son and glory in the power of your Spirit. And Father, for a few moments, would you allow us to glory in your Word? Would you allow us a moment, Father, just to uh, stay our minds on you as we glean into the, the eternal, uh, perfect Word of God? Father, would you have a word for us this morning? Father, even as I preach, would you help me to preach with faithfulness and with clarity and with, with, um, with power, Father, the power of the Spirit of God. But at the same time, would you preach to me? Father, would you make me more like your son this morning? Would you remove the old garments? Continue, Father, to remove the spots on the, on the, on the garments. And 
of my flesh and would you continue to make me, Father, more like Christ. That's what we need this morning. Father, we need your presence. We need you to work on our hearts. We need you to transform us by the renewing of our minds, Father. We need you to take old texts and to renew them in our hearts. We need you to take new, fresh texts, Father, um, to places that we can't go. We need you, Father, um, to unify us. We need you, Father, to um, go forth with the gospel into the hearts of those that do not have Christ this morning and give them a new heart, Father. We need you this morning to meet with us and to accomplish the work that we cannot accomplish. So we come before you this morning, Father, weak and unable, and just beg you, Father, um, to do an eternal work as we gather this morning around your word. Father, we um, trust you with these things um, because we can't trust ourselves with them. <clears throat> it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. It may seem somewhat strange to you if you've been with us that we find ourselves this morning in Jude. Um, we've been taking as our task over the past year, year and a half now, um, through the book of Mark. I don't mean to um, disappoint any of you this week by not taking a continuation on our text um, inherently. Um, don't worry, though, we will get back to it next week and you will find out what I believe the abomination of desolation um, is. But then again, we're not really parting from the text um, at all. Um, last week we began and preached a sermon on Mark chapter 13. Um, could argue as well from uh, Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter number um, 21. We began um, to tackle the topic of perseverance there in Mark chapter 13, as well as in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter number 21, there's an exhortation um, that is inherent within that first portion of the exhortation, the discourse of our Lord. And it finds itself in different places in the text, but it's all essentially the same. That in that initial period of time, those initial things that must happen to this generation prior to the end coming, that the, the ethical and moral application and exhortation, the warning, as well as the encouragement for God's people is to persevere. Um, it is to endure to the end. We find there in Mark, and as well as Matthew and Luke, but not only in those passages, um, you find it all throughout the New Testament. You find it in the epistles of Paul particularly. Um, you find it with Peter. You find it as well here in Jude. You find this um, concept of of persevering faith. And that's the topic that I would love to pick back up this morning and in some way um, apply that um, and what that should look like in the Christian life to us. It's not going to be extremely exhaustive. There's no way in the world that we could do that. Um, with the time that we have, it would take weeks and months and volumes have been written upon that. So I just want to give you a few things, particularly this morning from our, our text but just as a reminder in the context, Jesus um, in his discourse in Mark 13 is giving to the people of God um, not prophecy just for prophecy's sake. Uh, I don't believe that prophecy has ever been given simply to satisfy the curiosity of the cat, um, nor of you and I. Um, but it always comes with an ethical and a moral duty 
Um, and you find that throughout that initial portion. You find Christ saying things like, do not be deceived. You find things like, do not be misled. You find things like, persevere to the end. Um, you find like, live like this and live like that in the midst of it. That's the, that's the essential part of it. That's why he tells you the things that will come. He tells you to look for these things or to look for those things. So when those things happen, you and I, men, you and I, ladies, you and I, children, boys and girls, um, know how to carry ourselves in the midst, in the midst of it. And, and, and he gives the people of God a necessary duty for them to persevere, for them to endure, for them to overcome to endure through the trials of persecution, to endure through the, trial, the tribulations of, of life. He sets forth the truth uh, that salvation belongs to those who finish the course and in some sense only to those. That there are two types of people. They may be hard to see in Mark or Matthew or Luke, but it's easy to see throughout the Scriptures that there are two types of people, particularly within the church, those that persevere and those that don't. Um, those that don't are called um, apostates. Those that don't, that's essentially what, pers- what, what apostasy is. It is the lack, the failure um, to persevere. There is a necessity laid upon us to persevere. Revelation 2, 25 and 26 says, But hold fast what you have till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him I will give power um, over the nations. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto death. First John 4, 5, uh, 5 verses 4 and 5, tell us who the overcomers are. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is that, who is that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the son of God. That this is necessary. It's necessary for us to persevere. Those that persevere do persevere, but they persevere by faith. Now remember in First Peter chapter number one, we read that verse number five, that we are kept by the power of God apart from our faith. No, but through our faith. That those whom are His will persevere. Those who aren't, won't. From our perspective, Uh, From His perspective, from God's perspective, those whom are His, He will not cast out. Those whom are His, no no one will pluck them from His hand. From from His perspective, nothing can separate us from the love of God. From our perspective, men, women, boys, girls, we must persevere. We must. And those that don't um, give evidence that they were not of the faith. That's the argument. I have time to go extremely into that as we did last week. Now, but first John 2:18 and verse 19 says, "Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that one of them were of us, that they were not of us. First John 4, 3, every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now, already, it is in the world. Um, and what he's arguing is, is that there were a group of people within them that did not stay with them. That they were of the spirit of Antichrist. Why? Because they had defected from the faith and from within the people of God because they held a different doctrine, a doctrine that opposed the doctrine of Christ. His deity, His work. Um, thus, they went out from them, but they went out from them because they were not of them. 
Um, a part of the trials and tribulations and the persecutions upon the people of God, you can look at this in Matthew chapter 13, um, part of the purpose is, is to separate, in some sense, the sheep from the goats. It is separate the believers from the unbelievers. What you'll find in times of heavy persecution is a purification of the church because Matthew 13 is very clear that those um, during times like that will not stay in the faith. Um, They will not persevere. They will not endure to the end. Why? Because there is no root in them. Um, And what they have been fighting for and longing after and what they have desired with the ministry um, or with Christianity or with Christ, they lose. And when they lose that which they have the greatest affection for, um, it leads to nothing. It means nothing. Thus, they they abandon it and pursue themselves in in other avenues. But those that are faithful, they persevere. Those that have a love for Christ because He loves them, they endure to the end. How else could you, friends? How else could you, brothers and sisters? Um, How else could we? How else could we hang upon a cross upside down? How else could we um, endure the ridicule? How else could we um, go and live a life that is foreign to the world, that is not of the world? How could we take the, the ridicule and the, and the maligning and the lying? How else could we do that? Um, unless we had an eternal perspective and a reason outside of ourselves that is greater than ourselves. Um, why wouldn't we? Um, without that, we would um, self-preserve. Without that, we would um, turn and run. Without that, we would um, abandon the faith. We would abandon the faith. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, um, which will secure eternal secure, or that we are eternally secure because of the perseverance of the saints. I am, I am convinced of that in the Christian life because if that is not true, none of us would be saved. None of us. We would all abandon Christ. We would all fall. We would all falter. We do every single day. And we continue in our sin. And as, the, as we sung just a few moments ago, um, we are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. As virtuous as we, are, we think we are on most days, without the securing, persevering grace and faith of an almighty God, um, I am convinced that I would not be here. I'll tell you that right now. I would not be here. Um, this is too hard. The Christian life is not just too hard. It's impossible. It's impossible. Imagine living a life in which you live your life um, to receive no accolades, no reward, um, no pats on the back, no amens, only to be hated, only to be ridiculed, uh, not only in life, but also in death. I think it's... um, isn't that the text that we just read a few moments ago? Revelation 12 and 11. Um, and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. They did not love themselves so much that they turned from Christ. They did not love themselves so much. They endured um, lives never to be remembered, I think, according to their own um, intellect. Um, how could they do that other than Christ? other than He keeping them, other than He preserving them, other than He um, instilling in them a faith that was not of their own. Listen, friends, um, today is no different. We too need to persevere. We too need to endure to the end. We too need faith. There is no doubt that in the coming days that you will need faith. You will need courage. 
Not only will you need courage, but you will need to be courageous. You will need to be, you will need to persevere. It's coming if it's not already here. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all coming against you. I know you think that the enemy may be out there, but, and he is. He, she, it, it is out there. But let us not forget the enemy within, the old man, the flesh that wars with the spirit, all of which um, we are at battle. You are at battle with the subtlety of Satan and his demonic power as he provokes you to doubt and not believe in the one true God. Um, you are to battle with the spirit of the world and its promotion with all sorts of ungodliness and immorality. You are to battle with the inner man who forever longs to rebel, yield to the devil's temptations, submit to the world's thinking, and succumb to the ungodly pleasures of the heart. It's, it's, it's not just coming, it's here. Why? Because it comes in every age. That's our lot in life, friends. That's our lot in life, church. To be faithful in the midst of a wicked and a perverse world. Maybe it'll be an ungodly authority coming in the future, demanding something that is not theirs to take or yours to give. You know, Caesar taking what is God's. Maybe it'll be closer to home when you have to tell a child that you've indulged for far too long. No, knowing that they'll, they'll hate you and lose it on you for it. But it's right. Maybe you'll be questioned about your values. Maybe um, you'll have to react to slander or lies against you, your family or your faith. Maybe you'll have fractured relationship that'll require patient endurance and honesty. For all of those, you'll need courage. You'll need resolve. You'll need, you'll need to move on. But not only that, you'll need to move forward. You'll need to do what's right. You'll need to act according to God's will. And you'll need to do it all recognizing that that may be a hill that you'll have to die on because that's a hill for Christ's sake. And that they'll hate you for it. And even in your death, in some way, you'll wonder, um, was it worth it at all? only to be reminded when you see him face to face that that's actually why you were birthed into the family of God in the first place. To stand, to make such a stand for his namesake in the midst of a wicked and a perverse world. And I'm convinced that many of us will probably do more in or after our deaths than we will in our lives because that's gonna be the way that he truly secures the glory and we don't take it from him. How will you do that? How could anyone do that? It won't be simply because of a good upbringing. It won't be because you're strong-willed and opinionated so others don't have to worry about you because you can take care of yourself. It won't necessarily help you. It won't necessarily help because you're an exceptional American with a solid understanding of freedom and rights. It won't be because you have a better paycheck or you're getting into better shape or you took a leadership uh, class that, uh, that'll make you a bastion of courage. No, courage comes from a new heart. A dead heart is a lifeless heart. It doesn't have the ability to stand and fight. That is, for anything other than itself. Standing up for itself often comes in the form of retreat. It's self-preservation. It's cowardice. He's a coward who leaves behind all the innocent who can't stand for themselves simply to save himself. No, we're talking about a courage to stand for Christ. We're talking about a courage to be forgotten. We're talking about a faith in which rests in his namesake and not for your own. We're talking about a courage that, that on a hard day chooses to honor God when there are things at stake. 
Uh, we're talking about a courage that, that, that pushes you to endure the pain, the suffering, the heartache, the rejection, the hatred from all around, sometimes um, not only from religious realm or from civil, or, uh, civil organizations or economies, but also your closest confidants and relationships. Even Christ says in Mark 13, your family and maybe your friends. Christ says, brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, how will you stand? Why will you stand? If you stand, it will... I'm convinced if you stay standing, it'll only be because you have a new heart. We looked at that last week in Jeremiah 32. It will be because you know that you are standing not before men in that moment with a question of how they will react, but because you know that you're standing before God. You know how He will react because he, you know what He requires. I'm convinced that it's only by grace alone that we can stand in the confidence against our enemies, knowing that he will rule and reign till he puts all of his enemies under his feet. David says it well in Psalm chapter 3 when he speaks of the Lord as his shield, his glory. He says, the lifter of my head. But at the same time, he says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. How does he do that? When the world is against you on all sides, church, how do you stand? Because you know that He is your shield, because He is your glory, because He is the lifter of your head. We're talking about a faith that is not born in man alone. It doesn't come uh, from the world's strategies. Um, it comes from the very grace of God. It's more than just an emotion. It's more than just an affection. It's something greater than that. It's something eternal. It's something powerful. It's something wrought by God and by God alone that He instills in the new heart of a man under the new covenant that Christ purchased on our behalf and that saves us not only in past, but even saves us in present and keeps us because He places the fear of God in us. Um, J.C. Ryle um, writes these words, he says, saving faith is something far deeper and mightier than a little sudden feeling. It is not an act of the feelings only, but of the whole conscience, will, understanding, and inner man. It is the result of clear knowledge, he says. It springs from a conscience not merely grazed, but thoroughly stirred. It shows itself in a deliberate willing and humble or dependence upon Christ. Such faith is the gift of God and is never overthrown. And he finishes with these words, make faith a mere matter of feeling. And it is, a it is of course impossible then to maintain perseverance. But what I don't want to do this morning is give a riveting sermon that emotionally stirs you. Because the reality is, is Monday morning's coming with all of, and, and all of hell, the world, and, and the flesh with it. And emotions fade and emotions die almost immediately depending upon the circumstances. What we're arguing for is for a faith that God has wrought in you through His Word by the power of the Spirit that keeps you to the end. There are things that you know um, which change you by the renewing of your mind that force you in some sense that make you, the New Covenant language says, that make you walk in His statutes. There are things that we know men now. There are things that we know women. There are things that we know boys and girls um, about who God is and about, um, about the things of God that compel us to move forward. Um, and that's how we do it. And that's what we find here um, in this text. 
Jude chapter, chapter 1, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. And I want to commend this passage to you this morning as just a small portion of how we persevere. Um, how we persevere. We must persevere. Then the question arises, how do we persevere? Of course, He keeps us, but in some sense, how does He keep us? When you come to this portion of Scripture, we find Jude. Um, Jude, who is dealing in the entirety of the portion with, with, with the exact same subject that we've taken up the last two weeks. With the, there are those within the people of God, within the family of God, within the context of the local church. Um, not, only old co- not only New Covenant, but Old Covenant. Um, who find themselves in a point to where they rebel against God and abandon the faith. Um, There's always that exhortation for the people of God to keep on. And that's what we find in the beginning. Jude begins like this, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And then you find the purpose of of the letter. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning the common sa- our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once delivered, once for all delivered to the saints. Why? For certain men have crept in unaware or unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God, our gra- the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you Though you once knew this, it says if they don't anymore, remember it. That the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. It's that great warning that we looked at. Many great warnings um, under the New Testament to separate the believers from the non-believers, but also to keep us running because we fear God. The angels and the, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that day, great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these. And then we pick up, let's pick up back where we began our reading on this morning. And he says, These are grumbling, or grumblers in verse 16, complainers walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time. He's saying, don't be surprised. This was prophesied of old. This was predicted by the apostles and by Christ himself. Um, and these are the type of people that they are. Don't be alarmed. When wolves come in in sheep's clothing, when they begin to attack the church, this has happened in every generation, and it's, it's going to happen here in this last days, in this last hour, he says. These are the type of people that they are. But you're not. That's the point. You're not. Verse number 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's your exhortation this morning. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It's a strange statement, isn't it? There's so many questions that should probably be answered about that. And I think that we answered many of those last week. Um, that what this is not argue, I would argue this is not meaning that you um, take yourself out of the love of God in such a way that severs you um, from Christ in a saving way. Um, but this also kind of 
brings a question about whether the believer can be outside of the love of God because that seems to be what he's saying. And there is a sense in which I believe that that is exactly what he's saying. Um, but I believe that this is a command to persevere. I believe that this is just a different way to say, keep enduring. Um, I know it sounds strange because Jude puts it in a particularly strange way, but it's not that strange when you look at all of Scripture. For example, Acts chapter 13 and verse 43, Barnabas and Paul exhort the saints to continue in the grace of God. Um, as if the grace of God would ever run out. But there is a sense in which they put themselves outside the grace of God when they turn away. Other places you read words like remain steadfast, continue in the faith, press on, run that you may obtain, don't faith, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, one commentator says and this is twofold. God's basic attitude toward mankind is love, by which Jude means that the strong passion that he has to save us from his rightful indignation and our disobedience that He gives us the promise of salvation. And the correct response of His covenant people to His covenant love is to echo His love by our obedience. There are always, He goes on to say, two sides to this. On the one side, Paul found out Christ's love compels us. It's an exorable love, a force. And he prayed that the Ephesians might grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. But on the other side, Jesus warned us in John 15, to abide or to remain in my love. He says, remain in my love, abide in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. Although God's love toward us is fixed and promised in His covenant from His perspective, that there is, there is this sense of possible for us to position ourselves outside of it in unfaithfulness, to be outside the love of God, to be outside of the experience of the love of God, to where we feel, um, because as we walk unfaithfully, that we have abandoned, and the love of God is at that moment experientially, practically foreign to us. And this happens, Christ argues in John 15, um, in, disobedient to, in disobedience to to His commands. But that's the command here today. To keep yourselves in the love of God. If there's one, you could look at this like it's four commands, but it's really, um, uh, in the original language, there's just one command here. And it would be better understood like this. Keep yourselves in the love of God, and this is how you do it. How do you do it? You do it by building yourselves up on your most holy faith. You do it by praying in the Holy Spirit and you do it by looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And in that, it's interesting that you could almost summarize, summarize that as um, this entire portion as faith, hope, love, and prayer. That you build yourself up in your most holy faith, that you continue praying in the Holy Ghost, that you keep yourselves in the love of God, and you look for Christ, who is that eternal hope. The Christian life um, is just that. That the persevering Christian life, the Christian who perseveres, must build himself up in those essential things. Faith, hope, love, um, and prayer. Or I may say dependence upon God. I mean, all of these intermingle. It's going to be hard to separate them totally and completely. But... Um, but that may be a suitable um, outline for you. Um, let me just say that I desire for you to persevere. This has been burdensome.
as I've prepared, it's been burdensome on my own heart as I have reflected upon my family. It's been burdensome on the church. Um, and thus I, I give you this. Why? Because Mark 13 is not that foreign from us. Um, the world is a hard place. It's difficult. Persecution, this is, in some sense, does generally uh, speak to all generations at all times, although there are some unique things about it that we won't forget. Um, but the Christian life is difficult and impossible. And the reality is that droves upon droves have abandoned the faith and that, if, and that you must persevere. But that if you must persevere, you must know how to persevere. You must know how to keep yourself in the love of God. So how do we do that? Number one, you build up yourself in your most holy faith. And I don't have anything grand or glorious in the sense of new and fresh this morning. I'm simply going to tell you that you need to be in the Word. That to keep yourself in the love of God is to keep yourself in the Word. To keep yourself in the love of God is to keep yourself in prayer. To keep yourself in the love of God is to keep looking for that great and glorious day. And that all of those things are an expression of the love of God to keep you. That's how you keep yourself in the love of God. So church this morning, first, build up yourselves on your most holy faith. Keep yourself in the word. The term build there, or it's, 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 it's translated other places as edify. Um, it's bringing ourselves by God's grace. Building ourselves by God's grace, again, closer and closer to the state of completion. It's becoming more and more like Christ. That's the process he's referring to here. And that this building is built upon the totality of the revelation before us, or the Word of God. That this is what he means when he says to build up yourselves on your most holy faith. That this is not subjective faith. This is not like the faith that we're talking about that you persevere through faith. It's not speaking about something that you've obtained in a sense subjectively that is yours, the faith of a mustard seed. Um, but it is in the sense yours that, 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 that Jude relates that it was handed down to you. Like he, he returns in this portion of, of, of the exhortation. He returns to things that he brought in at the very beginning of the chapter. Right? He says, Beloved, uh, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered uh, for all to the saints. That this faith that was handed down, he says that you... <clears throat> um, or to fight for, to contend earnestly for it. Why? Because there are people, men creeping in who are foreordained of old, um, who will take you to task over it. Um, they've abandoned, they've defected. This has been the, the um, agency of Satan, the devil himself, the world, um, since the very beginning. And it's coming now. Thus, you must, to contend for the faith, church, you must build yourselves up on your most holy faith. That, that faith that is different, that faith that is distinct, that faith that is godly then and distinctly God's. It's not subjective. Um, it is what He gave us. He's speaking of the truth that has been handed and given to believers. That for the Christian, for the believer who approaches the Word of God by faith, um, to have a strong faith to persevere. This is you could almost um, organize the argument like that, that. That how do we strengthen our faith, right? If if faith is necessary to persevere and God gives it, how does He give it to the believer? How does He give it to you? 
Does he just come down in a vacuum and pour it out upon you? Do you sit and say your ohms and kumbayas for, you know, 15 or 20 or 30 minutes to an hour? You know, do you, do, do you just wait on him to show up? Um, or is there, a, is there an ordinary means of grace that God uses to extend grace and faith and strengthen the faith of believers to carry on and to persevere? That's the argument. And he, one of the ways that he does that, one of the primary ways that he does that is through the word of God. It is through the word of God. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 32. So now, brethren, I commend to you God. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That we need to build upon that foundation. That if we are to be built up, we are to do it primarily, listen, by the word of God. You say, we know that. That's not the question this morning. The question is, are you persevering and enduring in it? Um, because it will be a necessity. And we could go back to Mark 13 and ask, how did they persevere? How did they make it to the end? When we look at, uh, at, the, at the men and women of ages old, how did they persevere? I'm going to tell you, they had a robust, built-up faith in the Word of God, in the truth of God's Word. Um, that we as a church, we as individuals, need to be growing and strengthening our faith. We need a growing confidence in God. We need a growing confidence in His Word. We need a growing confidence in His promises. We need a growing confidence in Christ's work and the gospel because that's the only sure way to persevere. But you're not to be deceived. You're not to doubt. You're to look to Christ. That's what the exhortation in Mark 13. Don't be deceived. Don't, don't, don't listen to other men. Don't listen to the, the false prophets and the messiahs. Listen to me. Listen to Christ. We could say it another way. Stay in the faith birthing, faith sustaining, faith persevering, producing word of God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. That it was the word of God by the power of the Spirit that if you are in the family of God, that's why He birthed you in it. He birthed you by the power of it and He birthed you there so that you would live. That you would not be only doers of the, hearers of the word, but doers of um, as well. And the same thing that God uses to produce faith in you is the same thing that God uses to sustain you and to grow you in your faith. You know? There's people that come along all the time and they're, they're, like, <laughs> they're like the Hebrews. You know, the, the, he writes to the Hebrews, I wanted to teach you something else, but um, we need to go back to the elemental things. It's kind of um, it's kind of the story of mankind, isn't it? Right? We get birthed into the faith and we just look for something more ecstatic. We want to find something um, that'll keep us there. We want to find something tantalizing, something that will just, just scratch our itch. You know, we want to find something greater, something, something more powerful, as if something is more powerful than the Word of God. You know, we want to find something that, 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 that will just reach the, 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 the sensitive needs of our people to keep them there, as if God's Word is not sufficient enough. 
You know, it was fine to get me into the family of God, but it's not quite enough to keep me in the family of God. But the reality is, is that, 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 that if the Word of God birthed you into the family of God, then it is the Word of God that will sustain you in the family of God. Luke chapter 8 and verse 15. This is Luke's version of the, the sower and the seed, or the, the sower and the, the soils. He says, but the seed is in the good soil in contrast to the bad soils. These are the ones who have heard the Word with a good and a virtuous heart and hold it firmly and produce fruit with, quote, perseverance. Perseverance. The Word of God accomplishes things in you. But one thing that it does is that it cultivates perseverance or persevering faith. Psalm 119.16 says, Uphold me according to your Word, the psalmist cries out. The NASB says, Sustain me. Why that I may live and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. How is he sustained? His life, his, 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 his sustenance, his, his energy, it's sustained. He says, sustain me by your word. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Why? So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God of perseverance and encouragement grant you, he says, to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. It is the encouragement of the Scriptures, Paul argues, that God uses, who is the God of encouragement and perseverance, that He uses that you and I would persevere. How do the Scriptures sustain and grow you? By faith. That's it. A believing heart must come. Um, you must receive it by faith. Galatians 3.1 says, O foolish Galatians who has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law or by the hearing of the faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, he says. I don't think Paul would have been very popular in his day or in our day with the way that he preached. Um, he looks at the Galatian churches and he reprimands them and he calls them fools. Why? Why are you they foolish? Because they've abandoned the truth in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel was preached. The gospel was proclaimed. The power of God was manifestly present among them. And now they've reverted back to requiring the works of the law. So he asked them the question in the beginning, why? Or did you not begin in the Spirit? And the, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. How? By the works of the law or by hearing of faith? And the answer is rhetorical. By the hearing of faith. Then why are you living now according to the flesh? Why are you resorting to the works of the law? That which was never able to save you. It was never able to sustain you. It was never able to carry you to the end. Why are you working and laboring? Why are you reverting back to your own strength? The same way you began, church, in some senses, he's saying, the same way you will be remained and sustained. It's by faith. It's by believing. It's by enduring. There is no deeper spiritual reality. There is nothing greater. Um, there is no um, uh, power outside of this um, that is beyond maturity. That this is what brings maturity. There is no source of power or joy or comfort or encouragement that is greater. A seemingly, that seemingly little faith that birthed you into the family of God, the faith of a mustard seed, is the same little faith that will keep you standing and fighting um, to the very end. You say, we already know that. 
I know, but do you know that? You know, in the words of Stephen Lawson, give us some men who know the truth. You know, that it's more than just knowledge. It's more than just fighting for and contending for a body of faith. But I think it's um, Revelation chapter number 14 and verse number... I may get this wrong. 12. Here is the patience of the saints, the perseverance of the saints, he says. Here is the, the, the perseverance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. He speaks of those who, 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 who persevered, the saints that persevered. How does he describe them? As those who keep the commandments of God and of faith in Jesus Christ. That perseverance and knowing, and the, it's more than just contending for a body of truth. It's more than just contending for something that you know intellectually or academically. I mean, it is, it is competing and contending for a practical, experiential faith to where God, um, where God invades the human soul in such a way that now, men, you know something and it changes you. You know? Like it changes the way that you parent. It changes the way that you love your wives. It changes the way that you govern the home. It changes the way that you work. You know, it changes the way that you handle a tool. It changes the way that you push a button. It changes the way that you submit to authority. It changes the way that you look at a woman. It changes the way that you look at a man. It changes the way that you look at a child. It changes the way that you, you, you look at the world. It changes the way that you, you, you watch uh, CB, CBS or NBC or, or, or Fox News. It changes everything. 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 It's a, it's, it's a worldview. Um, uh, it, it totals the, the, the way that you look at certain things. Um, why? Because now you know God. You know, A.W. Tozer begins his um, book with that famous expression, what comes to your mind when you think about God um, is the most important thing about you. That's it. You want to strengthen your faith, brothers and sisters. You want to strengthen your faith, keep in the Word. And can I give you this as well? Um, keep in the Word in pursuit of God. Don't misuse and malign, don't misuse and abuse the word of God as some seven step or ten step method to make you a better husband or to, to be a better wife. Seek to know God. Simply seek to know God. If you read through Genesis chapters one through fifty and you came apart and you came across unchanged or you didn't find God, then you read it wrong. And you need to read it again. That the purpose is to show you him. When you read the Word of God, we find that it is often the revelation of God's character that most strengthens, sustains, and even salvages the faith from near destruction. We read this all throughout the Scriptures. Jeremiah is a guy that is somewhat, uh, probably a kindred spirit, although a much greater man than I'll ever be. <coughs> but that's exactly what we see in the book of Lamentations. We actually have a biblical picture of, of a man who, who God used revelation of his character to salvage their faith. Jeremiah lives through the destruction of Jerusalem and he despairs. Um, he was there. He saw the buildings burn. He saw his people taken off. He saw the, the manifest destruction of the disobedience of God's people in such a way that I can't imagine it changed him. I can't imagine that it didn't change him talking with some men just yesterday and talking about work and seeing things and how it changes you. 
Those things change you, sometimes for the worse instead of the better. Jeremiah um, laments over the things that he saw, and he writes a poem about it in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 20. Um, you read his conclusion in some sense. But prior to that, in verse number 1, you read these words, and maybe I want to read them to you because maybe it gets home. He says, I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath, speaking of God's wrath, he has led me and made me walk in darkness and I not and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He's got a way with words, doesn't he? He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy even when I cry and shout. He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people. Their taunting song all the day he has filled me with his bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity, and I said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers, and it bows or sinks within me. Can you imagine much more of a despairing man? Verse 21, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. This I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. What, Jeremiah? Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. That Jeremiah, in the midst of despair, in every moment uh, that, that he recounts, would lead the man, crush the natural man to, to just utter hopelessness and despair. And when he's on the brink of saying, Oh Lord, kill me, he finds hope and he finds strength. And he finds faith to persevere. And where does he find it? He finds it in God. He finds it in one who is compassionate. He finds it in one who is loving. He finds it in one who has mercies. That's what he says. He says, therefore, I hope in him. I don't hope in, 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 in this inanimate object. I don't hope in this, this, this vague promise. I hope in him. He's the expression. These are just the expression of, of his promises. So church, when you read, read your Bibles. And read them not to, 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 in a self-centered way to, for self-preservation or to, to uphold and to exalt oneself in such a way um, that you would prosper, but read to know Him. And to know Him is eternal life. And to know Him is to, is to be changed. It is to be a different man. It is to walk differently. It is to talk differently. It is to carry oneself differently. That's the connection all throughout the Scriptures. That the change that happens within a man, the goal is not to do different things, men. The goal is not to do different things, ladies. 
The goal is not simply to order your homes. It's not to just disciple your children. It's not just to, to be good to your wife, man. It is to know God in such a way that you know that if you're not, that you'll answer to Him. It is to know Him in such a way that it changes you. That when you're about to do that thing which you know dishonors Him, you are compelled by conviction and by the very Spirit of Christ to, to turn and to do that which is right in His eyes. It is to live in light of eternity. It is to know that one day you'll stand before God and give an account of everything. But, but even today, you know that you stand before Him. Although He's somewhat veiled, you know He's there. Like, I know He's there. I know when I wake up in the morning that He's there. I know when I lie down, the psalmist says He's there. I know when I carry throughout the way, He's there. Let me just tell you that so many Christians struggle in their faith and persevere and abandon along the way and have so little progress in the faith because they don't read their Bibles. Or they don't read them appropriately. And you read them because you simply have to. You read them because you think it's the right thing to do. You read it because it's like you think you'll gain some stature with God and you can pat yourself on the back at the end of the day. I was successful. But to read your Bible without pursuit of God for self is nothing more than the Pharisee, which is the great enemy of Scripture. As you are to pursue God, you are to seek after Him in such a way. You are to build yourself up in your most holy faith. You are to, to approach the Word of God believing. Believing. And time is escaping us. Psalm 119 says, My soul clings to dust. Revive me according to your word. It could be very well today that some of you are some listening from home that are, that are sick or some tuning in. It very well could be that today you came to church or you woke up this morning and you wonder what in the world am I doing with my life? Questioning all your life choices. Thinking about abandoning God today. You have an Elijah complex. Lord, take me even now. I'll almost guarantee you you've not been in the Word. I can almost guarantee you that you've not been walking with Him, that you've not been pursuing Him. I can almost guarantee you that. Not only keep yourself in the Word, but keep yourself in a community of believers. Let me give you that. That's not inherently in the text express or expressively, but I do want to give you that as well. And he says, keep yourselves. The context of Jude is within the local church. Um... It's plural. He contrasts what you should do with what the apostates are doing. Actually, if you read the previous verse, he talks about being divisive within the family of God and the, and the, and the, and the, 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 the consequences, the ramifications of their behavior upon the people of God, leading many astray. And the idea is, is not you, not you guys, not you people, not you church, not you corporate body. As there is an individual aspect of, of, of a corp, uh, an individual aspect of building yourselves up, but it also happens within the local church. You know, last week we read Hebrews chapter 3 and we talked much about that, that, that warning of being faithful, of being unfaithful, being, being deceived, um, being, let's just read it. And beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. You know what God's remedy for that was? The writer of Hebrews. That those who are straying from the faith and abandoning um, uh, and not... not seem to be not persevering and not enduring to the end, but have been deceived by the deceitfulness of sin and hardened um, in their hearts. You know what his remedy was? Verse 14, 
Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What's the remedy for apostasy? It's encouraging one another. You know what the remedy or the, the, the aid to strengthen the faith and to, um, to persevere is? It is to be in the context of a local body through wonderful relationships that are interpersonal and dynamic so that we know each other in such a way that we aid in the fight against an evil heart of unbelief. That God has placed you in the, if He saved you, He's placed you in the context of the people of God and where you should find a local assembly that can urge you on and push you in the faith. You know, Hebrews chapter number 10 um, is another one of those texts in which um, you find um, this exhortation for the gathering of God's people. Why? To stir one another up to love and good works. If there is a necessity of, of God's people to, 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 why? not abandoning the gathering or the assembling of, 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 of the God's people. He says, as the manner of some is, or already has. That there are people within the family of God in the Hebrew church, or within the, the Hebrew context that are abandoning the faith. You need to gather. You know what you need to gather? To stir one another up to love and good works. You know that word stir, it is a, is a provoking term. It, it is actually almost a violent term in other places in Scripture. It's not like just something that is passive or, or simply a, a, a simple word of encouragement, although it can be. It is this intentional, um, uh, purposeful um, uh, reason to gather together for this, you know? Like that's why you're here. I know that, 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 that many people abandon the church today because they have a faulty view of what it should be. And they run and they hide to find something that meets their needs. But listen, you're not here to meet your needs inherently. I'm not here to meet my needs. My needs are met through service, mostly. I am here. Because Christ calls me, you are here because you are a part of the body necessary, gifted for the common good. That God uniquely birthed you into the family of God universally, but also locally in such a way, gifting you for the purpose of edifying and building up the body in our most holy faith. That some of you wake up in the morning or on Sunday morning and you come and you don't think I'm necessary to the body of Christ. Christ would disagree. That not only did he purchase your salvation, he purchased your perseverance, which takes place not only in the context of a family, but within a local assembly. That you are needed. That, that, that I need you. Let me say this morning. I need you. You look to the left and you look to the right, you look to the front, you look to the back. These people need you. Because there's going to be days in which we don't want to carry on. There's going to be days when you wake up like, and you don't want to fight. There's going to be days when you just want to throw in the towel because you wonder where God is because you've not kept yourself in the love of God and you can't feel Him. You can't. Feel him. Uh, you, you, you can't it, it's been so long since He spoke to you and, and you're going to need somebody. You're going to need somebody to come along who loves you, to stir you up to love and good works. You're going to need somebody to come on. Jude says, and you're going to need somebody to come along and extend mercy to those who doubt and to snatch those out of the fire, some out of the fire, hating even the spot or the garment spotted by the flesh. You're going to need people that will come along and bring you back. You're going to need a church to keep you holding fast to the faith. 
David needed Nathan. And I need you. And you need somebody beside you. Because the reality is, is that the deceitfulness of sin deceives you into believing that you don't need anyone. And that you'll be fine. And it, and it makes you believe that they don't need you. That if you want to keep a strong and a vibrant faith, church, then you must stay active, serving within the, local, the context of a local body of believers in which you are pushing them on in the faith and they are stirring you up to love and to good works. That's how you keep in the love of God. Um, you keep in the love of God. Bonhoeffer writes these words. He said, there is something that is far more significant about hearing the word of God from a brother than me to say it to myself. And I can tell you that that's the truth. I can tell you that Christ's activity in my own heart and life um, has often been mediated through faithful brothers in Christ who have stirred me up to love and good works. That I don't get up here from week to week and I, don't, and I haven't been here for six years now I'm simply because I'm strong and I'm courageous. You know, and I have grit and I can bear it. I'm here simply by the grace of Christ, the prayers of God's people, and the faithfulness of Christ mediated through His Word, through His church, uh, through prayer, and through longing, and through, it, through an eternal perspective. Not only do you need to keep in the church, but you need to keep, um, you need to keep praying in the Spirit. Keep praying in the Spirit. That's what he says in Jude. He says, praying in the Holy Spirit. I don't take that to mean some ecstatic type language or some um, supernatural experience that is above and beyond. I simply, I, I simply take that to mean that um, in the context of Scripture, that there is a total dependence upon God such that it provokes us um, to pray in the Spirit, in total dependency upon Him. I can tell you that if you want to strengthen your faith, men, then you must be active in prayer. Ladies, you must... Be active in prayer. Children, you must be active in prayer. I know that it's hard and it seems like you're talking to no one, but you too, um, if you have the grace of Christ and the Spirit of God within you, you need to be praying. We must be a praying people. <coughs> we not only need to be praying individuals, we must be a praying people. You know, I see this as a great need of the church too. Just praying together, stirring one up and up in prayer. Some of us don't have enough concern for our souls to seek the Lord in prayer, to seek the Lord in the Word. Um, praying in the Spirit, I see, is not going with our own agenda, not coming with our own ideas, not uh, bringing to God some good recommendations. It's not going um, ritualistically, formally, or legally. Uh, I take it to mean that it's going with a conscious sense that I'm utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. You know, He dwells in me to aid me to pray as I ought. And when I don't even know how to pray, He prays for me. It's to go to God the Father in prayer through the power of the Spirit on the basis of Christ's work. It is to trust Him that He is able to accomplish anything according to His will if we'll ask it in His name. It is to pray in such a way that God gets the glory so as to pray for impossible things. It is to seek Him and to depend upon Him. It is to find strength and weakness. It is to come to Him on a Sunday morning, not with a great and eloquent sermon, but it is to simply say, Lord, this is what I have throughout the week, and if anything's going to be done, it's You're going to do it. 
It is coming to your, your family as a father or as a mother and, and discipling your children and feeling um, in, ineffectual and feeling unable and feeling incapable and feeling uh, not organized and feeling not um, this or that, but it is faithful obedience and perseverance in the things that God has given you that often, that often God uses to make unholy things and unprepared things holy things and eternal things. And it'll be in those moments that your children really receive the most. When they see, they, they don't need to see a perfect mommy and daddy. They need to see a faithful mommy and daddy in their imperfections seeking to honor and to please God. That's what they need. You know what your coworkers need? They don't need to see somebody perfect or holier than thou. They need to see you day in and day out against all opposition, seeking to honor the God of heaven and earth and the Christ that saved you. They need to see you persevere. That's what they need. They need to see persevering faith. That's what changes me. That's what God uses often as a means to change people. Why? Because the gospel at that moment comes alive. These people believe what they um, teach and what they say. They are truly dependent upon God. And then we need to keep our eyes on Christ with an eternal perspective. I take, that, I take Jude to mean that um, in his last phrase looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Peter says the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I take it to mean that he speaks of the second coming. And that, man, if you want to strengthen your faith, wake up every single day in light of eternity, that one day you will stand before God and give an account of every thought, word, action, and deed, and that today matters because today's His. That there will come a day in which fire will, will burn up my works. And I don't want it all to be wood, hay, and stubble, but gold, silver, and precious stone. That's what John believed. That's what Jude believes. That's what Paul believed. That's what Christ taught. First John 1, 1 through 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Get that love again. Keeping the love of God. How? How? Um, and it is not, he goes on later, he says, but beloved, now that we are the children of God and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know what we shall be, but we know that, that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is and everyone who has this hope, right? The hope, faith, love, hope. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Um, and his coming may not come in your lifetime. It may not come in mine. But we are still to live in such a way that we are looking for it with utter and anticipation and waiting expectation, longing to see Him. Um, and we are to live in such a way that we are changed because we know that we will see Him one day. Thus, we are to build up ourselves in our most holy faith. We are to be totally dependent upon God in, in prayer for everything in life. We are to, to live within the context of the local church in a vibrant, intimate way, pushing and stirring each other on in the faith. We are to live in light of that day. So what does that look like, you know? I think it looks like not loving your life unto death. I think it looks like not loving the world. I think it looks like being fine with being hated for Christ's namesake. I think it looks like not clinging to those things because you know that all those things are passing away and that one day they will be burned up and that you're seeking to lay treasures up in heaven and you're doing it by faithful, joyful, enduring, persevering faith. It looks ugly on most days. 
but it's precious because it's God's gift to you to keep you on the on the straight and narrow, pressing into the kingdom. Thus you're to live, men and women, boys and girls, in such a way that you know that you'll stand before God one day and give an account of everything. And you'll wish that you hadn't held so tightly to some of those things that really didn't matter when you see them all burnt up. It's funny, we always learn this by the end of life, don't we? How many men look back and say, you know, I wish I would have spent more time with my children. I wish I would have discipled them more. Man, I built a great empire at work and at home. There's just nobody to live in it. They've went their own life. Would be to God that we would learn, men, earlier in life not to cling so tightly to those things which will pass away. And I'm convinced that the only way to do that is to look to that great day and that blessed hope that we have in Christ. And this is how you keep yourself in the love of God in some sense. There's more, but I don't think it's less. But this is what He takes pleasure in. Psalm 103, the mercies are from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear Him. But this is God's love to you. See, it didn't sound all that great. It sounds hard. It sounds difficult. It sounds testing. It sounds... Um, it sounds persecuting. It sounds, you know, it sounds hard. It sounds painful. How can that be love? It is. Because it's by those means, whether they are fatal threats or glorious, gracious promises, it is by those means that He keeps you to the end. You know? Imagine with me the idea of lo the loss of a loved one. A parent, a child, a spouse. Can't imagine that. Imagine visiting the loss of a little one at the room afterwards. They used to play some sense of sorrow, but also joy. Remembering how everything in the room would be a reminder of them. And not only simply a reminder of them in some cold, indifferent sense, but attached with it just an overwhelming sense of love, of, of what that represents. It's not love itself, but it's a reminder of the love. It fills the room. That's what all this should be. As hard as it is some days. The church should be filled with the love of God. As hard as it is some days to, to reprimand or to rebuke a brother, and it's just as loving to do that as it is to encourage him and stir him up in the positive faith and to build him up by the scriptures that everything in this life, everything that God put in this text, this is the love of God. As hard as it is some days to receive the word of God and to be convicted of sin and to abandon it, to cut off hands and to gouge out eyes and to, and to carry on as painful as it is, it's God's love extended to you to keep you and to make you more like His Son, as hard and as painful as some of these trials and tribulations are, they are the love of God. That's how He keeps you in the love of God. It drips with the love of God here. Even the, even the fatal threats and the divine promises equally drip with the disciplinary love of a father. This is your Father in heaven bringing you by His Word, bringing you through dependence upon Him, bringing you um, by, by, by the promise of that, that, that final hope, bringing you by life in the church, bringing you unto Himself, not only on that day, but even this day, that this is a foretaste of glory. And thus we should rejoice in it. Thus, 
Um, the, the, the apostles often say that they rejoice in the tribulations. They rejoice in the persecutions. Why? Because it is an expression of the love of God. That he would allow us, the apostles said in Acts, to, 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 to fellowship with him in his sufferings. Who talks like that? Not any modern day American Christians. Bring it on if it brings us to Christ. Bring it on if it brings us into His presence. And take it as the love of God. That's how you will persevere to the end. To see the totality of life in every expression for the believer as God loving you, God being with you, and God making you more like His Son. Faithful brother told me one time, and I'd never thought about it before. He said, he said, be encouraged. Everything that you'll ever receive from this moment on in Christ is love. That's it. Oftentimes we look at the difficult things and we think that's God hating us. It's not. No more than I hate my son. When I correct or reprimand or come alongside him, to teach him what God requires, or to teach him how to please his Savior, or to teach him how to respect others. That from a father's perspective, he's doing it all for the sake of the son. And from the father's perspective, all of this is for you in some sense. Christ purchased it, and it's an expression of love. So when you're down and when you're out, that's what Jeremiah came to the conclusion of, wasn't it? That we are not consumed because he's compassionate. We need to rethink this thing we call life and understand that when we're enduring the hardships, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is angry or indifferent or apathetic or upset or hates us. These things are lovely expressions of the love that he has for his beloved. So church, keep yourself in the love of God by keeping yourself in the word, pursuing him, keeping yourself in the local church as a servant to others. Keep yourself in prayer, totally dependent upon God in every aspect of life, understanding that if anything is able to be accomplished in an eternal perspective, God will do it through the faith that he gives you. Keep yourself looking toward and forward to that great and final day that we will have in Christ and we will see him and we will be like him. Therefore, purify yourself even as he is pure. Let's pray. Father, we love and thank you and praise you for the privilege it is just to call upon your name. Father, we recognize what had to be accomplished for this to even be possible. What a privilege it is to come boldly to the throne room of grace and what a privilege it is just to revel in your glory today. Father, this is what we do. We revel in your Son. We revel in the work that He accomplished. Father, we revel in the power of the Spirit and what He continues to accomplish in us. Father, we recognize that apart from your love and grace, whether it's as pleasurable or as Hard as it is on most days, Father, that for the saints of God, it's all an expression of love purchased by Christ. So help us to receive it as so. 
Now when the persecutions arise, Father, help us to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. Um, because even though they come from the hand of evil men, we know ultimately they came from the hand of a loving God. And that it may be theirs, but it's also yours and it's ours. And if all the evil in all the world cannot strip us out of the hand of God, but push us on into his very presence. How in the world could we ever be lost? I trust that we couldn't. And I praise you for accomplishing that work because it's a work that we could not do. It's a work that we would never do. But it's a work that you did because of who you are. So I praise you today, Father, for who you are and what you're accomplishing in our lives. Father, I thank you for this church, and I pray that you would encourage a soul today, if you already haven't, to take the word of God, Father, and just remind them that if they're in Christ, they're loved. Father, remind them of the holiness of God, but also, Father, within that framework, that your love is too holy and different. And encourage their hearts, Father, to persevere. Father, they need you to do this because they're despairing and they're wondering where you're at. Would you go to them, Father, even now? If there's a saint here, Father, that um, is despairing, would you allow one of us to go to them and mediate your presence through that? Father, if there's folks that aren't here today and haven't been in weeks, Father, would you give us uh, the, the impetus to move on, Father, towards them, to stir them up to love and good works? I know so many are struggling with what's going on in the world today. Would you remind them, Father, of your love and give them the faith, Father, to persevere. Push them on, Father, and help us to push them on as well. Help us to be ready to be pushed on by others. Father, we praise and thank you for this. Again, because it's your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.